you'll recall that Canto 15 begins with them following the path of this red river that flows from the old man of Crete as the sort of source of life itself, but now in a pretty deep pit of hell, looking red, surrounded by a high bank that enables Dante and Virgil to walk across the, the flaming sands with the falling flames from the sky that uh, tortures the souls that they've, they're, they're, they're meeting in this round of hell. Um, they're walking this slightly unnatural path as well because they're not following the circles of descent as they have done before because the stream rushes straight across the sand so they too are walking directly towards the pit and it's a sort of slightly unsettling feeling. Dante dwells on it by talking about the banks. He looks for earthly analogies and um, the, the banks to hold um, the waters at bay that the Flemings use. He talks about banks he's seen in Padua. Um, he describes them as built by an unknown engineer, which is rather strange because, of course, he would know that everything is made by God in some way or other. But this sense of the known unknown going in an odd direction, again, signals for us that we're going to be asked to think carefully about this canto. Something strange is happening. Um, and so these early tercets um, set up, I think, an encounter that Again, it's going to be tricky for, for Dante. It feels like one that's close to his heart. And yet he is actually able to think about it in this canto and invites us, as it were, to discern more deeply what's going on too. They make their way across the sand and before long, but now they're out of sight of vegetation behind them, um, they see a crowd of men running towards them. A sort of gaggle, um, I think of it as, slightly chaotic bunch. They approach Dante and Virgil and look up at them. Um, remember Dante and Virgil are on the bank, sort of above the sand, staying off it for mortal fear. Um, these men look up at them and they ogle. Um, it's described as how men look at each other as they're walking through the, the dark nights of a medieval city. Um, it's described as the, um, the trying to thread um, the, the eye of a needle, you know, and you have to look really carefully. Um, and it's a bit ambiguous quite why they're staring um, in this way. Um, the immediate assumption, given what's going to come up in the canto, is this is a slightly sort of lustful or lecherous ogling. But it also looks like a kind of competitive ogling too. You know, who are you? What are you doing here? Um, have you succeeded in ways that I haven't because you're not being punished? That sort of mood is in the air as well. And it raises the big question for this canto, which is what is the, the sin that's trapping these souls in this round of hell? Um, what has gripped um, their hearts and minds and is holding them in this place? And the normal assumption, um, because the word is used, not in this canto, but um, in the previous canto 11, describing these lower circles of hell, the word sodomy is used. These are the sodomites, the citizens of Sodom. 
but it raises a big question as just quite what their sin is. Um, I think Dante is doing something quite similar to what he's done in previous rounds. You know, we've just had the so-called circle of the blasphemers that are really asked to work out just what blasphemy is. It's not just cursing God. You know, why would that bother God? Um, it's something deeper about the individual cutting themselves off violently from God. And so similarly here too, I think Dante's beginning with um, a sort of familiar trope at the time, but asking us to go more deeply, which of course is his whole point about this long, long, steady descent. Let me describe sort of what happens and then we can unpick that um, as we go forward. The group approach Dante and Virgil, they ogle at them, and then suddenly one of the group shouts out, how marvellous! And Dante looks down and recognises it as a poet called Bruno Latino, a sort of Bruno Latini, or Brunetto, um, as he's called in the canto. Brunetto is a character that commentators think Dante probably didn't know in life, but he is very like Dante. Um, he was a poet, um, and Dante would have learnt from his poetry, because he wrote before Dante, um, and wrote at quite substantial length, you know, as Dante, the poet, is doing now. Um, he wrote epics, um, rather than just short verses. Um, he was a public figure as well. He was a Guelph on the same side as Dante, and he was also exiled from Florence. So there's a kind of identification um, in terms of their external life being offered here. But I think this is setting up also the beginning of the thing that Dante's got to tussle with, because Brunetto is a poet. Um, he's a well-known poet, a famous poet. Um, and just what it means to be a famous poet, and in particular what drives you to want that fame, to want that glory, is going to become the main theme of the canto, purely in terms of what they actually talk about. You know, it's sometimes remarked that if this was really about sodomitic acts, this is a deeply unsexualized canto. Um, but what they do linger on at great length um, is um, fame and the impulse, the desire to want to be famous and what that can do to you for good or ill. So this sets it up, the, the main theme, Brunetto shouting out how marvellous. Notice that he says how marvellous. Um, he doesn't immediately turn into a sort of self-obsessed um, diatribe as Caponeus had just done in the previous um, uh, canto. Do you remember when Caponeus saw the living soul approaching him? He immediately says, as I was in life, so I now am in death. It's a very self-referential diatribe he looks into. Brunetto um, sees that something marvellous is happening when he sees Dante, um, the living soul in these regions of hell. And that's what they begin to talk about. Brunetto at first asks whether he can stay and talk with Dante and leave the group of running souls um, behind, um, which Dante says he'd be delighted to do. And their meeting is deeply affectionate. Um, Brunetto reaches up and touches the hem of Dante's cloak, and Dante looks down um, with a kind of reverence, although it's this sort of strange inverted reverence because Dante's above him and Brunetto is below. Um, so there is a kind of theme of affection between men here too, um, but it's presented in sort of warm terms, um, as if Dante's also beginning to say, don't automatically read affection between men to mean um, homosexuality in terms of sexual acts and whatever that might mean. 
Um, so they walk and they talk together. Virgil sort of slips to the back for now. Brunetto stresses that he must walk. He can't stand and talk because he says if he pauses even for a moment, then he'll have to lie on the ground like the blasphemers do and be burnt for a hundred years. So this is saying that um, his sin is similar to blasphemy. It runs the risk of cutting him off from God, um, but he knows to sort of keep moving. And Brunetto asks him how Dante comes to be here. And Dante gives us a short speech describing how um, his guide um, is following the word of heaven um, and leading him along this journey, which for the first time Dante describes as leading him to his home, leading him to heaven. Um, it's quite an arresting moment. Um, and as well as the clarity of mind with which Dante um, speaks to Brunetto, and which of course is part of his learning. Um, it's quite striking that he says it here in this circle because his true home is going to be a home of glory. It's going to be one um, where he is remembered in heaven, um, not just for being famous for its own sake, you might say, but because he boasted in the glories of God. And that's what he's going to um, be remembered for. Um, he, he doesn't quite say that at this moment, but um, there's an indication that he knows he's on to the right kind of glory, um, which um, will be his own, in fact, um, because he's sung um, of God's wondrous works and sung so beautifully and amazingly um, about them, rather than the kind of fame which uh, seeks fame for itself, which boasts in itself, um, to, to use um, St Paul's expression, you know, we boast in Christ crucified. Um, that's an okay kind of boasting. Um, Brunetto says, um, all you need to do is follow your star and you will find your way to your home. Now, this is a slightly more ambiguous comment from Brunetto because in a way he's right. Um, following the stars is precisely um, the way that Dante is going to um, discover when they leave hell and emerge um, in purgatory and, of course, through the heavens particularly. So he's not wrong there. But the question is whether he really understands what he's saying, because there's also a sense um, in his comments here that Brunetto might be referring to a kind of astrological star sign that is his own. It's his own sort of right to fame. Um, you know, uh, the star sign is often thought to be Gemini, um, which is Dante's star sign. And there is a risk in astrology that you say, you know, this is my star sign. This is what belongs to me. And this is the way things should go in my life. Um, and um, again, that kind of cuts you off from a bigger life if you make those claims. So we, the reader, are being invited to work out just what is being celebrated um, in this rather lovely encounter um, between Dante and Brunetto. You know, at a surface reading, it seems great. Um, it's a sort of celebration of finding your way home, following the star. But have they really got it right? The indication is that Dante's getting it right. Brunetto presumably hasn't. And then Brunetto um, does one of these things which many, several people they meet in hell um, are able to do, which is prophesy something about the future. Um, again, it's um, a rather uh, unclear prophecy, um, but it's one that sticks in Dante's mind. So, you know, hence writing it down in the poem. And it's about Dante's own future. You'll remember that um, uh, Caccio had um, talked about Dante's inability to return home 
he won't be able to return back to Florence. Um, he reflected on Dante's fate in that way. Um, here now Brunetto adds another angle on that um, and he says that Florence will be taken over by those who are famous for being arrogant and envious and proud, um, the sort of destructive side of Florence's Florentine society. And it's interesting that Brunetto is onto what these people are famous for in this canto, again stressing the theme of fame. And he says to Dante, be careful that you don't get sucked into that kind of fame, that you too, in response, in the fight, in the battle with them, don't yourself become arrogant and proud and envious. And it's a kind of choose your enemies carefully because you become like them kind of remark, kind of prophecy. Dante replies saying that he's learnt how to seek eternity, how to find his um, eternal life through the writings of Brunetto in part. It's a kind of homage again, a bit like a teacher um, to a master, sorry, a, a, um, a student to a teacher or master. And um, but again, it, it's quite it's a bit of an ambiguous comment. What kind of eternity has he discovered in himself? Um, is it eternal fame on earth? Or is it that he has discovered his divine life within him that he then is able to speak about through his poetry? And that's what's making him famous. Um, the impulse uh, may be the same. It seems like Dante, the poet, is implying to us. The desire to be famous is not bad in itself. It leads us to want more, to reach for the stars, um, to speak beautifully about life, to be heard well. But the question is what? we want to speak about, what we want to be remembered for. Um, are we channeling divine life and so finding the eternal life um, that's part of our life too? Or are we, as it were, trying to grab a kind of eternity um, for ourselves, an eternal fame um, in our, um, in, that's purely earthly, that as it were doesn't lead anywhere else apart from remembrance upon earth. So these, this, these sort of to and fro um, between them, um, raising these themes of um, following your stars, discovering eternity, um, what we learn from, who we learn from and what we learn from them, um, but trying to discern that it's got to be um, opening up onto something bigger than ourselves um, so that um, we're remembered for being a kind of voice piece for what's bigger than ourselves, a spokesperson for what's bigger than ourselves, this theme of being a co-creator, a co-worker um, and not running the risk um, of claiming it for ourselves as if we've made it, as if we've created it, as if we are the originator of all that's beautiful. Um, that's what they're teasing out in their exchange. Dante Pilgrim seems to be more on the side of getting the truth. Brunetto, um, the soul trapped in this circle, um, seems like he hasn't got it. Um, fortune then comes up in their discussion. Uh, Dante uh, um, in, invokes the name of fortune and um, talks about fortune um, and how fortune turns um, the wheel of fame too. Um, you'll remember that fortune's come up previously and Boethius um, who wrote the Constellation of Philosophy um, is a big um, influence upon Dante the poet and I think here um, Dante the Pilgrim is sort of half remembering um, what Boethius taught about fame and Dante the poet um, is deliberately uh, reminding us by invoking the name of fortune. And Lady Philosophy had 
taught precisely this lesson to Boethius um, when he was in prison, um, that Boethius was a famous person um, in his own time, in his own right, um, and thought, in fact, that he had been famous for the right things too, because he tried to do good works. Um, but he discovered that when that fame was taken from him, he was thrown into prison. Actually, he lamented um, bitterly what he'd lost. And so there were still strands, you might say, threaded through his soul where he wanted fame on earth, not just fame uh, for how he had spoken about divine things. And Lady Philosophy, in the Consolation of Philosophy, is kind of purifying him of um, that um, confused fame, um, which is what must happen for Dante, the pilgrim now, and indeed, of course, for us too. As if to emphasise that, Virgil now suddenly speaks. It's the only thing he actually says um, in this canto. He's been rather out of the frame. And he makes a remark which is effectively um, to say, Dante, do you know what you're talking about? Um, it's a kind of warning. Um, and in the moment, Dante the Pilgrim doesn't even hear Vir uh, Virgil say this. Um, he just carries on talking to Brunetto. But of course, Dante the Poet does, in retrospect, remember Virgil saying this at this moment and so records it for our benefit. Um, this kind of sense that we're looking on the conversation and being asked, do we know what they're talking about? Do we know what we're talking about when we're thinking about these things in our own life? But Brunetto and Dante carry on talking and um, they, uh, Dante says, you know, maybe I should see some of the other souls who are here. Um, being able to name them, being able to learn something about the nuance of their own entrapment and this business about naming, being seeing, being understanding, being discerning, um, which is so important. Um, and so they go through a few people who are here as well. It reminds me of Plato's worry, particularly about poetry. I remember Brunetto and Dante, of course, are both poets. Um, and this perhaps helps us to get another inflection upon um, the fame that claims for its own sake, rather than um, being famous for speaking beautifully about God's um, works. Um, Plato famously reflects upon whether it'd be a good idea to ban poets in his Republic. And the reason why this is a question worth considering um, is not because he's a tyrant who hates art. Um, Plato is a great poet too, um, and it's, you know, it's quite clear that if he just meant literally ban the poets, um, the Republic in which he discusses banning the poets would be banned in the Republic too. So again, something more nuanced is being suggested. Um, and what Plato says is the problem that poets face is that their poetry, their words, are reflections of nature, um, what happens in the creation and the world around us, which is itself a reflection of God's um, life, God's vitality, God's spirit. Um, so the poets are speaking about images of images of God. There is, as it were, two steps away. We noticed in Canto 11 how this had been the theme that um, Virgil and Dante had discussed then when they were thinking about the lower reaches of hell. And so my guess is that this is partly what's being remembered here as well, um, that the poet um, seeking fame needs to be careful that they don't want to be famous for what you might call the grandchild of God's image, um, you know, if nature is um, the children of God and then writing about nature in poetry um, is the grandchild of God. Um, you want to be famous for celebrating the divine, 
and not several steps away from the divine. Um, you know, it, that, that, that's also reflected in the contrapasso of this canto. And remember that there are people running around um, as if they're sort of winners. And in fact, at the end of the canto, Brunetto is said to run off um, rather pathetically, actually. Um, he, he, it looks as though he thinks he's kind of won the race. Um, it says that quite explicitly. Um, but Dante, of course, looking on, realises that he hasn't because he is in this round of hell. Um, and so the implication is that um, Brunetto feels like he's won the race of life um, with his poetry. Um, but of course, you know, he hasn't really. And that's underlined for us because in a way, who, unless you're an Italian poetry specialist, has heard of Brunetto now, you know, whereas everyone has heard of Dante. The underlying message, therefore, seems to be that the impulse is not wrong, but discerning where that impulse takes you is the whole work, is the whole task of life. Um, and it often involves dissent, mistakes, getting it wrong. Um, but as long as you're remaining alert and thinking as Dante is presented in this canto, you can adjust where you're at and follow the narrow path as they're following the narrow bank um, that runs alongside the Red River. The violence against God, you might say, um, is not just, um, as it were, singing praise as if it's your own self who's worthy of praise, a bit like cursing God um, as the blasphemers had done. You know, again, you know, what is God going to worry um, if you try and overpraise yourself? Um, the real risk of doing that um, is that you start to believe it. You start to find you. Um, you know, as a word, believe your own rhetoric, believe your own poetry, believe your own ability, your own skill. Um, and it's that that cuts you off from the divine, that which runs the risk of leaving you running around, thinking you've won the race um, across burning sands um, and being ultimately deluded in the way that Brunetto seems to be in the deepest parts of his soul. Um, it's about Brunetto's inner disconnection from God because he's been wooed by his own poetic genius. Um, there's another group of people approaching. They sort of see a bit of a dust storm being kicked up um, and another group is approaching. Brunetta says he mustn't mingle with them because they're further down, closer to the pit. He must stay um, in his own round. Remember they've been walking directly towards the pit, not in a circle through this canto. And so Brunetto leaves Dante and Virgil, and they continue wondering quite who they're going to encounter next.